welcome to episode 17 of Pastoring in a Pandemic. I'm your host, Nathan Longfield. Today is Thursday, June 18th, and we'll hear from Reverend Dr. Chuck DeGroat, Professor of Pastoral Care and Christian Spirituality at Western Theological Seminary, to discuss his insights on how pastors and congregation members can care for themselves and others during COVID. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Pastor and Pandemic, that's Pastor, the letter N, Pandemic, and follow me at Nathan Longfield. Listen to the podcast on our website or wherever you can get your podcasts. Please remember to download, rate, and review the podcast. We'll be back after a quick break to hear from Dr. DeGroat for his advice about pastoring in a pandemic. Professor of Pastoral Care and Christian Spirituality at Western Theological Seminary. Chuck, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Nathan. Um, so throughout the podcast, at the end, I've been getting bits of wisdom from pastors about how they're taking care of themselves, how they would encourage their congregations to kind of care for themselves. But I'm curious if you could offer some insights, kind of what you've been noticing with pastors and people in general with just emotional, physical, spiritual health during this and how it's weighed on people and if they're naming it or just kind of carrying it. Yeah. Uh, probably a wide variety of, of responses in terms of uh, naming it versus just carrying it. Uh, this has been really hard. Uh, my pastor, John Brown, and I did a little conversation in this church a few weeks ago where we talked about it and I said, you know, this COVID, this is the first time we've dealt with a global pandemic since like 1970. Now we're smack dab in the middle of a cultural moment that is the, the most significant since the late 1960s. Uh, it's a really trying time to be a pastor. It's an exhausting time to be a pastor. Yeah, lots of pastors I was, I was talking to were already exhausted before uh, what we've experienced the last like, two, or, two to three weeks with a number of the, uh, the shootings, and, uh, the riots, protests, Etc. that have come out of that. Uh, I find myself in conversations all the time with pastors who I would say are experiencing something um, that I would call trauma. Mm. Uh, they, uh, they're, they're being hit from all sides, and it's weighing on them. And then we see common symptoms. We see the symptoms of anxiety and sleeplessness. Um, they, they find it coming out in their dreams and coming out sideways in conversations with their family and their kids. Um, and impatience with their congregations as well, because folks in in uh, their churches are anxious. Some of them want to get back to church right away, and others don't think they should get back at all until uh, three years from now. And, the, you know, kind of the, the full gamut, right? right. And, and they're trying to figure out how do I... Uh, find my way back to church, in-person church, with all sorts of boundaries, and address racial injustice, uh, and continue to pastor all the ordinary stuff, the, the marriage needs, and the funeral that needs to get done, and the wedding that was scheduled. It's, it's, it's a lot right now. 
Yeah. Have you seen, what have you seen from pastors for doing pastoral care then? That's when I ask a number of the ones I've interviewed kind of cross the spectrum of how they're trying to be present without being present. Yeah. And what does that look like? Yeah. Um, I ended up doing a lot of pastoral care for pastors, <laughs> uh, ironically now, after being the pastoral care guy for so long. And, you know, it's been interesting because I think uh, what I've noticed, if I were to kind of name what I've seen more generally instead of specific examples, mm-hmm. uh, er- early on there was a little bit of a sense of, there was an early surge of adrenaline and anxiety. What to do? Shut it all down. Lots of checking in with leaders and elders and quick contingency plans. And then, and then they realized they're in it for the long haul. And so they began talking to uh, to other pastors, their staff about how do we care well in the long run. Uh, started deploying some of those tasks to elders, deacons, community group leaders, depending on the size of the church. And so there was. A little bit more of a long-term strategy, lots and lots and lots of Zoom meetings. And then that came with a kind of, on the other side of the anxiety, uh, a kind of fatigue. Hmm. And in some cases, depression. And it just seemed like there was this light at the end of the tunnel. And then we hit the last two to three weeks. Uh, Of course, uh, George Floyd's murder in Minneapolis, uh, a number of other uh, situations that... Uh, now, now it, it's sort of it's it's like it's on. And uh, what I'm noticing again is what I'm hearing from pastors is I'm having to put out fires again. Like I was just getting to a rhythm of checking in. We had a good strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were deploying some of the work to others, and now all I'm getting are the emails, the phone calls. The you're, you're not saying enough. You're saying too much. Right. When are we coming back together? And it's it's just a lot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, with with those conversations, have there been things that you've um, recommended or wisdom about trying to care for the congregation, care for yourself, balance all those things? I think a lot of the paths I've talked to has sort of been the tension of since I don't go to work, yeah. I'm always working, and like my computer is yeah. always in front of me, and it's another video call, and it's another email, it's another text, and sort of how do you draw that line well to stay healthy. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. And I saw, I've seen, again, a range. I've seen a couple of uh, churches and and networks, actually. Networks are not denominations, but they're kind of affiliations of churches. Uh, I've seen them be really intentional. And in one case, uh, actually one of my DMIT students who's somewhat responsible in her own network, uh, actually, I forget what it was exactly, but I think they told their pastors to work half-time, knowing mm. that they would be on a lot. You basically put in the number of hours that you would do, but, but half-time, knowing that the number of hours that you'll do, even at half-time, will be taxing, and knowing that you'll probably go above and beyond that. But almost to say, preemptively to say, we know this is going to be taxing, we know mm. you've got to attend to a whole host of other things. On the flip side, I've seen a lot of pastors just reacting um, with no real plan in place. Um, Very early on, I think I put something out on Facebook or something where I just, I named some really simple things, Mm -hmm. like get out and take uh, a walk or two every day, rest well, uh, cut down your alcohol consumption, and really ramp up your water intake. 
Um, you know, basic things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate for contemplative prayer, which can come in a number of different forms, but it basically just means cultivating silence for God for, for the sake of yourself. And I, I would say for the sake of the world mm-hmm. as well. Um, where don't begin your day with CNN, with a hard conversation, um, begin your day in silence. So just returning to some re- regular basic principles of self-care uh, is really important. Yeah, yeah, I think those are hard rhythms for a lot of pastors to be faithful in during regular, quote-unquote, times. And That's right. In this, yeah. it just amps it up, because you wake up and there's the immediate anxiety of all the things you've got to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm curious what you've noticed um, in terms of the physical aspect of not being able to connect with people. As creatures made for relationship, Yes. video chats are not the same thing. We, we yearn for being in person with people and i think that's one of the big things with the call for like let's get the church open is people just want to be together um but it's not necessarily the smarter faithful option like but that takes a toll so i'm just curious what yeah if you could talk about that yeah and being together over zoom is not the same no yeah together virtually um and we know neuroscientifically neurobiologically that in this season where we're, we're very virtual, where we're doing lots of video calls and things like that, we're kind of living from the head up. In other words, we're not embodied with one another. And there's a kind of tax or toll that takes on the body. So uh, people call that disease and other things. But, but what we realize is that, as you said really well, we were created to be embodied creatures. And uh, we have had to find other ways of, of connecting with one another. Um, uh, this is one of the reasons why I said earlier, get out and take a walk, uh, two walks, three walks a day, get mm-hmm. your body moving. You've got to engage your body. Um, I use uh, an app called Calm, and uh, there are body scans that actually mm-hmm. engage all parts of your body. You've actually got to do those things more intentionally now that we're not with one another. Uh, this is particularly hard for single folks right now. I mean, I'm thinking back to my days in the, in the Bay Area, pastoring a congregation that was full of singles, probably three quarters single. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the loneliness they're feeling, the loneliness of people in urban settings, you know, who are uh, jam-packed in cities and yet isolated, completely isolated. Imagine going from a full embodied existence to complete isolation. And so I don't think we fully know the mental health cost toll from this. I think that will be, we'll be talking about the trauma of this for years to come. And in fact, I even put a little notice out at one point, hey, teacher, doctor, ministry students, keep a journal now, because I, I think this will be ripe for some really good uh, uh, doctor ministry study, the yeah. impact on churches, the impact on pastors, on particular constituencies within the church. Yeah. Really important. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, so as in some places, uh, to varying degrees of wisdom, it seems places have opened up, um, the call for churches to open up has increased. Um, yeah. And I'm just curious if you had conversations about that or how to balance sort of the I really want to open up people versus the I don't think it's safe people and how as a pastor you hold both those needs yeah. But be faithful to caring for all and being faithful yeah. to everyone. Yeah. 
I think this is where we need to be good missional contextual pastors <laughs> uh, because there isn't a one size fits all. And uh, I, I was just with a group of pastors the other night, uh, one from the Nashville area, another from Grand Rapids, a couple who are actually going to be planting outside of that. And, and what was interesting was that their particular states, uh, the different states, as I've talked to different pastors, have um, have different recommendations, right? So there's a kind of general CDC recommendations, and there are state rules and recommendations, policies, procedures. Um, this is a lot for pastors. We never knew that we'd be on .gov sites as much as <laughs> we are, right? And what I'm, I think you name it really well. There, there. What I'm hearing is we, we've got to get back together because embodied life together, as we talked about, is really, really important. Um, and we want to be safe. Uh, we realize that uh, doing this, um, again, I say this is radically missional. Doing this is not just for ourselves. It's for the sake of the world. It's mm-hmm. for the sake of others. It's a way of, of loving our neighbor. And uh, and yet I say that really, really mindful that isolation breeds depression, uh, breeds suicidality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hearing uh, lots and lots of suicidality over the last couple of months. And so... There is not a one-size-fits-all. There's not a, you know, we, we like to be binary, and there's not a, you know, they're right or they're right. Um, I really respect the pastors I've been in conversation with and the amount of work that goes into wise decisions. Uh, my own pastor has a, a really great uh, doctor in the congregation, a uh, guy named Matt. We, we love a lot. We're very thankful, and he's uh, kind of a 24-hour on-duty consultant right now in this process for pillar. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I wonder, too, if we gather physically, we still can't really physically be together. Like, even if you're together, it should be right. social distancing. You can't run in and hug the person you've wanted to hug. Right. Like, yeah. I almost wonder, I was talking to a pastor in Iowa where they never fully shut down. Now they can be together. They've decided to not open up as quickly just because it's like we're only going to be kind of gathering. Yeah. So is it, is it worth that when it's sort of like you're yearning yeah. for something and you're yeah. only getting a piece of it? How does that look? Yeah. Well, I, and I think this, this is it. That's a part of the equation, right? And so I've, I've talked to the pastors, the congregations that are mostly older, mm-hmm. and, and we know that the threat of COVID is far more significant if you're, you're over 60, right? Yeah. And so... Um, and, and yet that, interestingly, paradoxically perhaps, is, is the group of people who wants to get together uh, the most at, in some cases, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I really do think that we've got to be attentive and attuned to uh, our, our unique, unique constellation of our congregations. Uh, uh, one of my friends, uh, Brian Keepers, is a pastor out in Iowa. Uh, Brian, uh, they've started with outdoor worship, mm-hmm. and uh, they're... They're socially distanced, six feet apart, worshiping as families. Uh, that's one of the phases for the church that I go to, bring your own communion elements. Mm. Uh, we never knew how creative we'd have to get to do church together, right? Yeah. You, you, you never took this class in seminary. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that there's there are a couple of pastors I've talked to who try to figure this out on their own, and I'm like, why in the world would you want to do that? There are so many good folks thinking through this well mm-hmm. and wisely. Some pastors who, 
really have a passion for this. Think with them, think together, think in community, but do it in a phased way. I think, once again, we tend to be all or nothing when it comes to these things. And um, it may just be that we're singing with face masks for a season. You know, it might be, mean that passing the peace does not include shaking hands or hugging. Um, and let's let's remember that that's a way of loving one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that's been one of the themes a lot of the pastors have hit on. One of them described as sort of, uh, he's from the Methodist team, sort of the key thing is do no harm. So everything he's thinking about is how do we love mm-hmm. our neighbor as well, but I think for a lot of people, like, can we just get back in church? Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's it's a tension, uh, especially yeah. in areas where people are seeing people gathering for other reasons, yeah. how to play that. And the do no harm piece, I mean, this is where the, the emotional and mental health piece comes in, because the isolation is doing harm. Right. right? So we're, we're trying to balance that, of course, that government officials are trying to balance economic harm, right? And there are all these a myriad of factors. I, I, of course, want to always boil it down to one and make it really simple. Most of us want to do that. And yet, I think we're called to hold all of these different things. And so, so uh, yeah, pastors working really hard right now. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, do you think there's a, a space or the call, I guess, for pastors to create a space to kind of name both of those needs and the tensions, or more than both, but all the needs and tensions that people are feeling from we should open, we should stay closed. Yeah. In that conversation, uh, or even within a consistory or leadership group where yeah. there may just be kind of like, I'm saying this, I'm saying this, and not room for conversation about that. Yeah. It's really tricky, and I think this is a, another one of those pastoral questions where I do think we have to immerse others uh, mm. in, into the conversation, but you can't you can't open it up to everyone. Right. Right? Uh, everyone has an opinion about this. Everyone has a timetable, and I've really appreciated how a number of pastors who I know have enlisted people in the know, people who have some skin of the game, mm-hmm. uh, elementary school teachers, uh, physicians, um, uh, a health trainer in one case uh, that I was talking and people who sort of are mindful of the different aspects, a therapist, etc. right? So you, you bring these kinds of folks on a team, and then as a pastor, you're sort of monitoring your own blind spots at that point. Mm-hmm. And that way, that way um, and this is, this is just wise pastoring 101, you can blame the team. Uh, you know, I mean, I, you say, hey, well, Joe and Bob and Barbara and Sandy and Ron were on the team. And uh, this, is, this is the best wisdom that we had. We may be wrong. We may be off a little bit. But this is the best that we came up with. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, a, couple of, a couple of pastor friends have actually recorded videos inviting some of those other folks to speak to us. Mm-hmm. So it's not just yeah. coming from the pastor, right? And I think that's just uh, wisdom as a pastor. Yeah, and I think a tension I've been hearing in a lot of conversations I've had with friends struggling with this pastorally is you've already got COVID as this sort of politically split thing now, and then you add on top of it everything that's happened over the last three weeks. And so there's just an additional level, and the COVID conversation becomes so much more complex because it's not simply what's safe medically, but there's these undertones, it seems, always of political leanings and everything, which just yeah. is another tension for them to try to handle. Um, yeah. 
within that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh. that part's complicated too. Yeah, right. Yeah, just another layer. Um, yeah, I, I guess. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts, advice, wisdom to offer pastors yeah. um, in this time and in these conversations? Yeah, and I, I think the last thing that you just mentioned is really important too, because there isn't a one-size-fits-all way of, of dealing with inviting people back to church or not. There's not a one-size-fits-all way of addressing racism in this season. Uh, I was just talking to a leader of an inner-city mercy ministry, and they are uh, people are demanding that he makes a statement, mm-hmm. right? And uh, He's like, I do that. What I do is my statement. You know, I've been doing this for the last five years, uh, but they want me to post something on Facebook. And I, I already know that if I say this word, uh, I alienate these folks. And if I don't say this word, I'll. And it's really tricky. Uh, and so, uh, and so, I don't know that I have a final bit of advice, but I, I, I would say um, that the the language of the crowd. If you look at the New Testament, the language of the crowd is almost always negative. Hmm. Um, don't follow the crowd in this. It's really tempting. And I, I mean, I'm going to say this by way of confession. It's really tempting when you see other people posting or uh, opening or whatever it is to say, well, I've got to do that or else I won't be up with it or down with this or, you know, relevant to that. Or, right. And make these decisions wisely and well in the context of your own community and prayer, cultivated in silence um, with wise uh, women and men around you, and then recognize that there will be folks, uh, uh, whatever the political persuasion, who will be ticked off with you. Mm-hmm. And that's a bit of the cost of ministry, right? I, mean, yeah. I, I think uh, that's the life of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're never going to make everyone happy all the time, uh, especially in a season like this. Yeah. I think the other thing that I'd say is, this ain't ending soon. <laughs> I think I, I wish I, 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 golly, I mean, for the sake of uh, the emotional and mental health of some of the folks that I'm talking to, I, I wish it could end tomorrow. Um, but I'm, I'm afraid we're moving into an election season. There's no, uh, um, there's really no sort of um, uh, uh, vaccine yet for COVID, right? right. So we're just kind of trying to do our best around that. And so play the long game, if that makes sense, and know that you've got to sort of discipline your life in a way that you have the endurance for the long race. And uh, what changes do you need to make in terms of your own relationships, practices, et cetera, for the long game versus the quick, you know, the quick response, the quick email, the quick post on Facebook, which um, right. may, may not be uh, in the long run satisfactory. So mm. that's what I'd leave you with. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you. That will do it for today. Thanks for listening. Chuck provided a number of pieces of advice and wisdom today. If you want to read more from Chuck or reach out, I have links to his Western Seminary page below, as well as a link to his author page on Amazon, which includes his new book, When Narcissism Comes to Church, which I highly recommend.
To keep up with everything on pastoring in a pandemic, you can follow us on Twitter at Pastoring Pandemic, and you can follow me at Nathan Longfield. Be sure to download, rate, and review the podcast, and you can listen on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back soon for the return of Dr. Ron Reenstra to talk about church reopenings and how pastors can best pastor in a pandemic. Grace and peace.